0: Welcome to the Not Your Average My podcast, where four Hmong-American women working to move our community forward, one conversation at a time. So tune
1: in every month with Liz, my Nia, Monica, and Katie as we dive into politics, pop culture, and all things related to being Hmong-American.
2: Let's get it!
3: Hey, listeners. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2020, and also welcome to our seventh episode of Not Your Average My
0: Woo,
1: snaps. Happy New Year.
3: can't believe it's the seventh episode already. Um, but yeah, we know it's been a while since, you know, we've been in touch. So um, maybe we can just do a quick check in with folks. Do people have um, updates to share or thoughts
1: and resolutions for the, the new year? So I'll go first. Um, so this is my year and. I've shared this with some of my close friends, my family, but my plan is to move back to California to move back home probably within like the next two months, our lease in DC ends next month. So we're still trying to figure out next steps. And I want to be more intentional about my next next career move. I can't share too much yet. But I, you know, I'm in the process of like interviewing and trying to figure something out. So I'll give more updates once I have more information. But I, I, I feel like this is, you know, right timing for me. And if people know me, like before, before I was like, I'm never moving back to California. I'm never moving back home. (laughs) um, You know, like it took a lot of reflection this past year to kind of get to this point. So I'm just and and I feel like like I'm doing this for myself and at my own time. So I'm ready to go back home. And we'll, we'll see how things go. Like I'm still waiting for some decisions. And I'll keep you all updated.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. When, yeah. I know. I'm excited. I'm excited for you to come so I can have a new, you know, <laughs> friends. <laughs> but last really it I'm lonely on the West Coast. Yes, I am. Um, but that's awesome, dude. And I know it's hard because, like, we're always thinking about never wanting to go back home or, or at least for me. I know it's hard, but that's yeah. great. I'm really excited. It took <laughs>
2: me like a decade to come back home. So
1: yeah, no, it's going to be like 10 years. Since I've left Sacramento So we'll see if I go back to Sacramento I'm still kind of figuring out like where You know the job might take me but mm -hmm. That's where I'm
3: kind of at Exciting
0: nonetheless
3: Liz Oh yeah sure so this is something that um, I think we alluded to um, In our last episode So it's official now I am um one of the uh fellows for the new leaders council dc uh-huh. chapter um, yay congrats love thank you so i'm really excited um apparently i think the their class of fellows in 2020 is the biggest class um but super stoked to meet all the folks in dc
1: um which is apparently one of the most competitive
0: chapters wow. so
1: what does new leaders council and like what do y'all do as a part of this program
3: I would say New Leaders Council is supposed to be kind of um, a launching pad for new leaders, um, as the name says, um, of like the next generation, right? Like they are one of the few orgs that is trying to build a pipeline of progressive leaders for the future. We have a pretty diverse class and they, they try to find people from like Private sector, nonprofit, and government um, who have interesting ideas or potential. Um, obviously, part of the goal, I think, it looks like is you know to get people to run for office. But I think they're also very much interested in people who you know want to um, be entrepreneurs or people who want to like run nonprofits and stuff. But like you'll see, you know, like after every election, they'll say, "Oh, like so and so, who is an NLC alum, has been elected and, and whatnot." Um, so I'm excited to meet people um, who are really smart and talented and like learn from them um, and also build skills that I can take back to our podcast, um, like facilitating better and public speaking, et cetera, et cetera.
0: That's awesome.
1: Keep us updated with how, you know, the program goes um, this year.
0: Yes. Yes, we will do. My girlfriend did it um yeah in the inaugural uh, Minnesota chapters and she got a lot out of it. What
1: about you Katie? How's um, 2020, 2020 going for you?
2: 2020 is, you know, coming by and I'm just excited to see it because oh um you know 2020 means Whee! that I'm done with my grad program and I'm really excited. Yay! About that. And um, just, you know, sort of taking time to appreciate all those Mm -hmm. people who helped me get to where I'm and uh, where Mm -hmm. I am, and like just the sacrifices that they made. And, you know, just to build my relationship with my kids and my husband because Mm -hmm. I know it's a year for me. So that's what 2020 is for me.
3: How exciting! I'm excited for you, Katie. We'll throw you a big mung party. Please
0: let us know when graduation is so we can be there. Yes. I
2: just want to be done.
0: (laughs) <laughs> I know, it. I know, you're yeah. on
1: your,
0: you're know, almost
1: there. It's going to come by fast. Yeah. It's going to go by so fast. And then by the time you know, it's April, May graduation yeah.
0: time. Pause. Monica, what's in store for you? Um, For me, speaking of grad school, well, after I think like two years, two and a half years, two years of preparing and you know studying and going through the cycles of like failure and acceptance I just got notice I guess from an MPA program at Berkeley and I got in so
1: yeah
0: it's I know. I'm
1: so excited I, for you. You're oh gonna be God, a bear know, now. Just like, I, me.
0: <laughs> like it's crazy because I never knew like Berkeley existed until like after college and I didn't know, you know, just mm-hmm. how I guess like how great of a school it is since it's still like the number one public policy school in the nation. Very I think still, you know, in shock and processing all this, but super excited. Um and Yeah, it just was a really good, like, affirmation of all the, you know, hard work and the Mm -hmm. failures that I talked about, you know, last year in my reflection episode and being okay and, like, really just taking the time to find other things that fulfill my life. And then now that I will be going to grad school very, very soon. um, Yeah, it's it's a big new step, and uh, classes start in May. So I have to really get stuff together. But anyway, I'll be, you know, um, doing that. Um, Also, yeah, just very excited to start the year with that. And it reminded me to, you know, be really grateful for the support system I have, like, especially you ladies and, you know, Minya and everyone else who really helped me get here. So um, very grateful. You're welcome. (laughs) You
1: deserve it. And, you know, like I think everybody echoes this but you know we're just so proud and we've seen your journey of like studying preparing mm-hmm. applying and it's freaking hard like it's such a hard cycle yeah. to go through
2: so we're just Thanks, really proud guys. yeah and Congrats. you know that like moment of failure only makes this victory so much sweeter oh
0: yes mm-hmm. I oh my gosh yeah, yeah. You, I am still like in no words to describe the feeling but very excited, <laughs> very yeah, just very grateful. So it's very,
3: very well deserved. I mean, you worked so hard because um, it's hard mm-hmm. working and then also applying for school and studying and stuff. So
0: thanks, y'all. It's been a long time coming, so I appreciate it. But yeah, I mean, wow, it sounds like twenty twenty is off to a great start for us, ladies.
3: Yes, and and hopefully, you know, it has a lot in store for for us and all of you listeners out there.
2: Well, that sounds like a really interesting um, break or beginning of 2020 for us. What about you, listeners? How about you guys DM us some of your exciting news or, you know, write us on Twitter so we can check in with you guys, too, and share your stories. Um, As you guys know, we're going to go ahead and dive into our seventh episode of Gun Violence and Gun Policies. And I know that it's a really dark subject or it's hard to talk about, but it's, you know, reality and it's something that's been going on in our community. So we're going to go right into that.
3: Yeah, I mean, we did alluded to this um, in our episode, our last episode of 2019. Um, you know, just given the recent incidents of gun violence in our community, like Fresno, where four men were killed at a family gathering, and in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where a father was shot to death by police. Um, you know, we end the Hmong community ended 2019 in a very sad place, uh, and we know that there are a lot of people in our community who are, are still mourning. So we 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 want to use this episode to talk more about gun violence in our community and, you know, ways to um, prevent this.
1: So I'll I'll give a quick recap of um, the mass shooting that happened in Fresno. You know, if you haven't seen this on the news, I'm sure so many folks have, but this past November there was a mass shooting in Fresno where two gunmen with semi-automatic weapons opened fire during a a Sunday football watch party and, you know, four of all men died and six were injured. So... Quickly after this tragedy, you know, we realized and we really saw that the media capitalized on this. So, for example, like CNN sarcastically call this tragedy a milestone for the Hmong American community, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. like our first mass shooting. Right. Um, you know, because gun violence has become so daily or common within uh, with uh, in our country. So. Also, like during this time, there weren't so many de- details that came out, but some speculated that gangs were involved yeah. in the mass shooting, and then the city of Fresno developed um, an Asian ga- an Asian gang task force mm-hmm. to find out the sex- suspects. Um, so earlier this month, in January, we received more information. Like, recent information came out that the shooters are actually part of a gang called Mongolian Boy Society Gang, and they attacked the home because they thought that, you know, rival Asian gang members were there. And, you know, I want to make it clear that the victims are not gang members or were not gang members at all. For me personally... I still think that the creation of this Asian gang task force-, force gets very problematic, right? Because, you know, when inc- violence happens or when a mom-related violent incident happens, like people automatically assume that it's gang-related. And then when we got this information, like for me, I'm like, man, our worst nightmares came true because the shooters are part of a mom gang. And people will say that, oh, this gang is this incident is gang related, that mom folks are so violent. They're so part of gangs like the 90s. And to me, I'm like, you know, I am so protective of, of our community and I want to control the narrative about our community so that it's not a single narrative. And, you know, I, I, I kind of see this kind of like when a mass shooting happens, like, a you know, somebody who's Muslim might be afraid that the shooter is Muslim yeah. and hopes that the, the shooter is a Muslim, right? Um, but I feel like, you know, for white folks, they don't have to deal with this. Like, when a mass shooting happens, the first thought that comes to their mind is, oh, like, I hope this isn't a white male perpetrator, uh, because they have the luxury of kind of controlling their narrative, right? So for me, like, I'm so protective of our community and the narrative and the story that that come out of um, tragedies like this. So, that's, that's my take on it, and I hope that this conversation can be about how we can prevent future trage- tragedies like That's this. That's fair. No, and, you know, I think there's also something to be
3: said for the fact that the community lacks the capacity to combat, right, false narratives mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that. And I think that, um, you know, there are some folks in, in California who did a really good job trying to say, you know – these men were not in gangs, but it's, it's hard because, you know, we, I, I think we don't have set, like a set infrastructure in place, um, mm-hmm. unlike other communities for that.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I completely echo Mania. And I think we were all feeling the same way, frustrated, angry, and of course like hurt and disappointed, especially with how, especially how like all, you know, mainstream and local like media sources reacted to it and, coined this sort of as a right as the milestone for the Hmong community as if we aren't affected by all mass shootings like Mm
2: -hmm. to me I'm
0: like Mm -hmm. when there is any sort of mass shootings you know Hmong people feel it all people feel it right like we're not just affected only when it affects Hmong people you know like to me that that was like so fucked up because it's like we're, we're impacted by all of this that's why you know I I, I don't know if we, I don't remember if we talked about this, but I actually redlined and edited that CNN headline, right? And, and my post went viral because of the content that I had. And I wrote that actually the Hmong community is suffering from um, another failed American policy, which is, you know, the lack of gun control. And, if, and my post went viral, obviously, because I talked about gun control. You know, it, it just reminded me of how, like how belittling it was of the situation. And, like, anyway, it, yeah, I totally hear you, yeah. And, like, I think my frustration and a lot of others um, are the same with yours.
3: But, Monica, maybe we could talk more about the response you got, right? Because some folks were like, no, like, we don't need, you know, gun violence protection measures, right? Like, we don't want gun control laws. And these were like, yeah, I mean, was,
0: you know, honestly, really. Um, is disappointed and sad to see a lot of the response from folks, you know, in the comment section coming from among men and just like white men and men in general commenting about how it's not a gun control issue and gun control won't say solve anything, explaining and just trying to justify their views. But again, missing the point that Literally six people were injured and four people died, and mm-hmm. they're they're going to reduce it to oh, it's not a gun control issue. And and mm-hmm. but on the flip side, I did see my post was shared over a thousand times, and I think a lot of those shares were in support of my view and my my argument that it, it is a real issue. And I and I I had a lot of of my friends and peers checked in on me um, just because it was so overwhelming. <laughs> And, um, a lot of people were just, sure. you know, very sure. supportive, and encouraging and, and you know what, like, we totally agree. And we hope you're okay. Like, thanks for speaking up. And that, yeah, was really affirming because, um, I think people do care. People do know that it's a, it's a real issue in our, um, not just in the Hmong community, but in, in our, our whole community, you know, just again, shame on CNN for saying that it's a milestone. Like it's when it's not to be celebrated but um like cnn did actually change their headline after the outpour of of distaste and um you know protests of of the headline so they did they did change their headline i don't know if anything else was done but i think there was a community letter written to cnn about being better and being more um accountable to the people that they they write about i think the
3: community letter will be sent soon if it hasn't been sent already as a re- I mean, there there was, like, actually... Like the Hmong
0: people have really Hmong, rallied and
3: organized. Out. Uh, social media is, like, very, very strong because there was that hashtag Hmong hm. milestone that started, you know, and so the article changed a lot of times. I think the concern was this that the editors at CNN just didn't want to own up to that and didn't leave an editor's note, like, typically what mm-hmm. happens when there's a correction that's made. So I think that was a big issue. But I did want to unpack this further because, um, you know, I wanted to bring in one of like the, I guess, I would say maybe accomplishments of um, the Black Panthers in California was, um, you know, California struck down its open carry laws because the Black Panthers marched the state capitol with like guns, you know, because I think historically, right, like people of color have not trusted law enforcement and they they, they have said they own guns because yes. they know protect themselves, right? And a lot of people live in communities that are unsafe. So I wanted to unpack that a little bit more, right? You know, because at the same time, we want to balance gun violence prevention. Um, we also want to make sure that
0: people feel safe in their communities. I think especially for, for me, Liz, and for us, like our dads and our uncles and our cousins, we they're all gun owners. They're all hunters. Um, You know, we know for us that like when our dads are out in the fields, like there's a level of heightened awareness because we know when they're in the field, it's different, right? Being a Hmong hunter with a gun out, you know, in the country rural areas, like white people will not respond the same way to us.
2: Um, Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, I know we were talking about gun violence, but uh, me and my family, personally, we are a gun household too. And um, that doesn't mean that we don't respect gun policies or that we don't support them because we do. But I mean, to talk about that piece where being um, a person of color and owning a gun, I do feel that it's completely different from like being white and owning a a gun. Um, You know, we had to take like, extra precautionaries even though you don't want to admit it but you do you know like and people look at you differently I mean if you've ever been to a gun range and you walk in and you're a person of color pulling out your gun everyone stops Mm -hmm. and stares you know it's like who the hell are you what are you doing here and it's like hey I just want to you know practice and be a lawful citizen and practice where I should be and like understand how to use my weapon and stuff but I mean it's definitely there nobody talks about it but um being a person of color and owning a gun you are treated differently and you know it's something that you have to like be aware of you know I mean like even me like if I'm if I have a gun or my husband has a gun like like it sounds so dumb but like you know almost like hey where do you have it um is it on you um is it in your car so like what if we do get stopped like what should we do or what what's gonna happen you know Mm -hmm. like you gotta have these conversations it's like you know how black people have these conversations when they get stopped by police you know it's like being Mm -hmm. a person cover you gotta just gotta have these conversations and you shouldn't have to but you have to because it's like it's for your own safety and it's your life that's on the line so you gotta be aware and just be smart about it and it fucking sucks but I mean that's where our society is right now
1: so as, as a gun owner, what does gun safety look like um, and how do you take these precautions? So for me, like personally, I do not own a gun and I will never own a gun and I am for the elimination of all guns. Like, I, I completely understand the importance of communities of color protecting themselves from police officers, from law enforcement, especially if they've been the victims of violence from, from law enforcement, right? Like I completely understand that history. Uh, but, you know, just seeing how people have mis- misused guns. I am a proponent of eliminating guns and not making sure that people shouldn't ha- have easy access to getting a gun. So Katie, I'm just kind of curious, like how, uh, what does gun safety look like, you know, as, as a gun owner? And uh, because, you know, I, I think some people don't know that, right? Because they're probably getting guns off the streets anyway, too. So I'm just kind of right. curious, yeah.
2: And, and like, you know, and that's like one miss like, you know, conceptions that people have of gun owners that were just out there to like, you know, kill people mm-hmm. or hurt people. It's like, no, we legally, you know, obtain these things, you know, and, to, you know, to like legally, like have your gun in Minnesota, you know, you have to register, do a background check and you have to do classes. Um, I, I don't know what the exact hours are. I believe it's like maybe eight hours or so. And then you have to, you know, practice at the range and be able to shoot your gun and prove to them that you can handle a gun correctly and after that you know you still have a wait period before you can purchase a gun and even after having like a whole license and stuff to you know conceal carry or so you still when you go buy a gun you still have to go do another background check where you you know you submit your name and it should be like a faster process but it's not always the case especially because we're like people of color and especially being mong with such common names that there's always normally got hold up because you know there's only like you know like 300 you know too gang or something like that, that the process has to look through. So that's like one setback. But I mean, it's fine to make sure that they run through that process correctly and stuff. And like just not just obtaining your gun legally is also just being able to store your gun and keep that away from kids or other people and not loan your gun out to people who you might consider close friends or family, but because you don't know what they're going to do with it. And if they want to have their own gun, have them go get it done legally, you know, because I think that's where a lot of things happen. It's like, you know, oh, well, that's that wasn't my gun, or I loaned it out. And then this kind of like tragedy happened, or, um, you know, I wasn't, You know, and like, I agree that we need to have like stricter policies and just like regulations on your own control of your own gun, you know, like maybe that would heighten people to be more safe about having a gun, you know, like, keep it in a lock, a safe or so or something like that. Keep it away from people. Don't take your guns out or, you know, just don't do things that are not common sense smart, you know, so...
3: Yeah, and, and I think it's fair, but I think one thing to mention is also gun laws vary by state, and so right. in
2: certain states,
3: it is much easier to yes. get a gun than in others. Um, so the people who are doing, you know, straw purchases or people who who want to get guns will, like, find a way to get them just because there's just, like, a varying degree yep. of, like, how, how hurdles it is to, to um, how many hurdles one has to go to to get a gun legally. Um, and there are also a bunch of, like, Loopholes right now, right, where you can get guns off the internet or, um you know, through gun trolls and stuff.
1: And so, so I want to speak more on that. So, you know, for me, like coming from this perspective of elimination of guns and, you know, preventing easy access to guns. So we've had an episode about domestic violence before, and we know that, you know, like the tragedies that happen, I mean, the mom women who die, like they all die from being shot, right? And um, you know, research also also shows that like access to a gun in a domestic violence situation makes it five times more likely um, that a woman will be killed. And you know, I and you know, I think Monica, you might talk more about like the the policy aspects of this, but like because there are loopholes, people who have um, history of being domestic abusers or people with violent crime, criminal records, they're able to easily buy guns from. Um, sellers who are not licensed without a background check, right, in some states. So that makes it easier for them to get access to these guns. And to me, I'm like, we need to be able to close these these loopholes and... make sure that there are sensible gun laws right so so that's the perspective that i'm coming from in terms of like eliminating eliminating easy access to guns
2: and i i totally agree with that you know and i I think like even like gun owners we want you know uh, sensible laws that are actionable you know and um i know that right now we have the red flag law which is um produced by the state and not a federal you know, law, but it is to where like people can have a court order to have people uh, to have like the police or the government take away guns away from people who they think they might be like a threat because of domestic uh, abuse or mm-hmm. domestic violence or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I believe in California, a person like a family member can do that, and not just like maybe like an outsider or something like that. So like if you felt mm-hmm. that um, in your own home or there's a situation where you feel that 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 having a gun or something like that can cause like harm. Mm-hmm later on or something that you can go file for you can go file in your courthouse or something like that to have that gun taken away from your house and stuff so and i believe that's in 17 states with the district of columbia and um maybe that's something that could be passed federally to help with that
0: to katie's point uh just real quick the house judiciary committee voted to approve red f- uh, flag laws but the, the house still needs to vote on it and um it obviously has to be advanced and voted on in the senate but yeah like you know to minya's point the red flag laws are one way to close the loophole and, and especially um in regards to victims of abuse and being able to report and get a court order for their perpetrators to have their guns taken away but uh, you know on the flip side there is another you know downside to this is that not like, the responsibility will then fall on, um, you know, law enforcement officials. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, a lot of law law enforcement officials don't support these types of laws, because they think it infringes on, um, you know, people's Second Amendment rights, right? So um, what happens then, right? And I was talking with um, my partner, Nick, about this, like, what happens when the responsibility lies on law enforcement, but they also are not enforcing it. So that's mm-hmm. another hurdle, that I I see, you know, proponents like us will will have to face because if the laws are there and our our officials, you know, are refusing to enact it, then who does responsibility lie on? Yeah, and I think that brings me to my larger question, right, like about law enforcement and and gun control. Like we know, um, I don't know where much like police officers and law enforcement where they stand on gun control, but we know that gun violence also comes from police officers, right? Like a lot of, especially in our, you know, communities of color. um, And, you know, like Katie alluded to this, like we are treated differently. So why is that? Like every, like all these, you know, um, gun owners and proponents of being able to, you know, carry their firearms know that if you're white, you're treated differently than, You know a person of color right and like for example in Minnesota Philando Castile you know who's a black man was killed by a police officer after he very openly and honestly told the officer I have a firearm in my vehicle and I have a license to carry and I'm not Mm -hmm. for it right but he was still shot and killed you know it's it's crazy to me like why people ask, like you know, why Black people and brown and you know brown and other communities of color are upset when things like this happen? Because time and time again, you know, people like are dying at the hands of the police, you know, through gun violence, but no one really looks and stops to think about how that's that's also like gun violence.
3: Well, a part of that, I think, is just you know, a lot of our community members, their first reaction is not to build coalitions, right, and and to think about the issue because. You know, like, on on the internet, there were Hmong folks saying, oh, you know, like, maybe he deserved it, you know, like, maybe he was also a threat, right? Um, I mean, I'm reading the articles about this father in Minneapolis who was shot, like, multiple times by police officers, um, you know, some of whom were, like, involved in other shootings and who have shot other people, um, and – yeah, there were, like, I think over 100, sh- like, shots
0: found in, in the house. Yeah,
3: like, lots of shots. Like, you can – when you look at photos of, like, their house, like, their bull holes everywhere, like, other houses around there got shot. Um, But he was also a shaman, and I was – I I always – I mean, obviously, we don't know what happened there, but I'm like, oh, like, could that situation have been de-escalated, right? Because um, apparently they had been on the phone with him before,
1: like, with an interpreter and stuff, like – it, it just so what happened? Like, how did I get to to that point where a hundred shots were fired? Like, I'm just so. I mean, that's to me, that's so unnecessary, right? So, like, what it the heck is. happened?
0: I I think <laughs> yeah, so. Right. so. I mean, I don't know. The backstory is, I think Katie, you can also fill in, but there was some domestic dispute going on in the middle of the night, and this monk man yeah. um, had a shotgun and. You know, when the police came to the house, they told him to exit the house and he did with his firearm in hand, with his shotgun in hand. And of course, I don't know what happened after that. But I think that's when officers were immediately like triggered when they saw him holding his shotgun. Right. Yeah, it's under investigation. It's, it's,
2: I've read, like, a few different articles, and there's still not a lot of information out there because it's an ongoing investigation. And, like, you know, what I did read was, like, this is, like, the police have been called to that address multiple times before within, like, the last month or so. I thought it was just were, once. Because- you no, know, they were there a uh, one-week prior to that but there were i think they've been called like six times or something like that oh. in one of the articles that i read and so like so like there has been some kind of like build up to this and then uh you know this was like right after like this is like three in the morning or so right after that and then um you know i believe there was like some kind of like negotiation going on i don't know the exact details but um and then he did end up coming out of the house, and then um, you know shots were fired. But I'm not sure if he fired shots first. I've read that he had did, and I read that he didn't because there's not an official report yet. So I yeah, can't. No, well, that. that's the crazy
3: thing. So the um, Minister Bureau of Criminal Apprehension is investigating this, and right. they are in the middle of the investigation. But they did put out a statement saying he had fired first. Which, to right. me, again, goes to an issue of media coverage because, to me, extremely problematic when there's an ongoing investigation and the BCA decides, oh, like, we need to get it out there that this guy shot first. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's right. crazy because, right, like, you don't know the whole story, but you're going to yeah. say, by the way, he shot first.
2: Um, I, think that's I mean, because we're trying to defend and justify the police officers. I really, like you would think that there would be a lot of coverage but theres it was like like maybe like the first week that it happened but there hasn't been anything since then really and like you know to explain the 100 shots like my only explanation about that and i'm like i said i'm not no expert but then there was like about like maybe like six to nine police officers on site when this happened so if everybody fired like 10 shots that's the only way you can get up to like a 100 or so i mean if you do the math and everybody fired their gun and like like i said i don't know what happened and i'm not trying to put fault or you know give credit to anybody for what happened but i mean that would be my only way to explain why there was like 100 shots was because if everybody there fired 10 shots then we would be at you know 100
0: yeah I don't know I still think it's unnecessary and crazy and because like you know of those 100 shots like someone else in the family could have been injured or killed
2: Mm -hmm. oh definitely
0: yeah you know like, this is exactly the things that, yeah. like, Black Lives Matter protesters and, like, you know, yeah. the like, the Black community has been fighting, like, to change. Police officers are trained to kill, not trained to de-escalate. Which...
2: Right. And I think, like, more crisis intervention could have been put in place. But, like I said, I wasn't there and I don't know what happened. And that's the hard part, you know. It's, like, what we read from yeah. the news. And, you know, I mean, I-, I think it sucked, you know. But, I mean, that's, like, another... And that's the sad thing. It's just one more story to add on to, like, being a person of color, you know? Like, that's just one more tragedy we have to face. And, you know, this wasn't, like, the only big case here in Minnesota. We also had the Fong Lee case, too, back in 2006. And his case was even more, like, suspicious and more – it should have been had, like, you know, just more attention to that. But no one really talks about that. And I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that yourselves, but –
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, I think Fong Li yeah. basically was a young Hmong man who was being chased by the police and was shot and killed by a white police officer in the back when he was running away because the police officer thought he had a gun on him only when they, you know, shot and killed
2: him found that he didn't have a gun on him. Well, there was a gun on scene, but the crazy part about that gun was that that gun was actually um, so the police later, officer who later, came later. on site right after it happened. That police officer wrote about that gun in a burglary case that happened two years ago too. So, like a lot yeah. of the, like a lot of the problem was that like they thought that maybe the gun was planted. And you know, I mean, yeah. he was a 19 year old kid riding his bike, and then you know the police started chasing him. So what did he do? He ran. You know, like what would you do? This is not like this is like broad daylight. This is like you know maybe like 7 p.m. and I. You know, at the end, it's not even like he was out there causing trouble or doing anything. He was literally riding his bikes with his yep. group of friends, and he started being chased. He ran. What, what? I mean, he's nineteen, but that's still pretty much like, a yeah. kid. You know, I mean, yeah, you're, you're scared, totally. you're pun. And yeah, and then like that police officer had like a lot of other issues that came after this case too. So um, I believe in like 2010, he was indicted on like a, a, a excessive force used on a juvenile and he had like some domestic dispute. And mm. then like, the game tasked on had like a lot of questionable issues too, because they had like missing evidence. And then they had um, just like a lot of like shady stuff going on. So I mean, you know, he built himself up a case too. And I believe that that case should have been reached And like, I believe that it was like a unfair outcome for his family yeah. and that's just like yeah another sad narrative that we have to deal with. with all this like shady stuff happening all the time it's so hard for people of color to trust their own government officials because it's like you know they turn on this all the time and stuff and yeah. you know, I don't know why people have guns you know people have many reasons why but mm-hmm. that could be a reason why and I could see the valid reason behind that you know I mean that's not a reason why I have a gun but uh you know I mean like that's could be theirs and that's justifiable enough mm-hmm. you know so.
1: yeah I think that the conversation about gun violence prevention is so nu- nuanced because there are right. so many things that happen that result in gun mm-hmm. violence right like mass shootings are just one yeah. of them like I mentioned the first no mass shooting incident but gun violence is so much more than mass shootings although in the media yeah. we hear like uh, we hear about mass shootings and, and then another mass shooting happens right and they're continuous tragedies and, and then we have like domestic violence related incidents where victims are shot by their partners. And then we have suicides where, you know, folks who have access to guns, like can easily kill themselves. Right. So to me, like gun violence is so when we talk about gun violence prevention, like it's so nuanced and it's so hard to, to think about this one solution. Mm-hmm. But I think for me personally, like it's to be able to reduce access to dangerous weapons, right. So I'm kind of thinking about like mass shootings, I'm thinking about situations between domestic partners, mm-hmm. um, and then requiring universal background checks without loophole instituting waiting periods, especially for folks who are thinking about killing themselves, like if there is a waiting period, they might have that time to seek help, or they might have that time to kind of think about the decision to harm themselves. So so I don't know, I don't know about what you all think. But to me, like, those are the kind of like the solutions that I can think of, especially when I think about how to prevent gun violence. In, in, in the examples that I gave,
0: I mean, I I think I completely agree with all of those points, Minyan. I think that's what for us or for me, like what we're pushing for, right? If we are going to ensure that all gun owners are treated the same, regardless of your if you're white, if you're black, yeah. if you're you know if you're race, and then two, yeah, making sure that you know these automatic like weapons are not readily available on the streets to prevent mass shootings you know like everyone talks about how california has some of the strongest gun laws yes but they forget that nevada is right next to us and you know like the gun laws there are like so lax so yeah someone could just buy a gun in nevada and drive it over to california and commit a, a mass shooting which is exactly mm-hmm. what happened at the gilroy um shooting in you know san jose like this past last year in mm-hmm. 2019 so you know people forget that like it, you can easily get guns or like at the gun shows where you can buy a gun at a gun show without um having a background check you know congress just um introduced a bill to close that loophole but um i i think you know there are a lot of things and we can talk we'll talk about that but for me i think the one thing that our communities can do now is like really showing up and building solidarity and, you know, building coalitions with the Black community that who has been doing this for forever now, right? Who has been protesting at least police violence, right? For a long time now. And not only asking for justice when it affects like our community, like we should be asking and seeking for justice when it affects other communities too. Like, I think it's great that, you know, we're, we rallied for Fong Lee and we rallied for, or people were asking questions about, getting justice for this, you know, recently old Hmong man that was killed. But like, where are all the Hmong people when all these Black people were being killed? You know, like, I, I just think we need to be better about that. And we need to not only ask for justice for Hmong people, but also for every everyone else, especially Black communities that are being impacted by it.
3: That's fair. Um, I was thinking about this today, too, though. So I... I have heard the concern that uh, of of a lot of the nonprofit groups that do work to help women affected by domestic violence, um, sometimes the response they get from funders is, "Oh, like do Asian women face mm-hmm. you know domestic violence?" And and I think that it's the same when we think about um, you know what we what the community needs to address gun violence in um, you know, the Hmong community and, and, and like, Southeast Asian community, right? Um, oftentimes, right, it's the media saying, oh, like, it's just the gangs, right? But I think we don't think about all the other people, the family members and all the other bystanders who are affected. And I think maybe part of that is also, you know, like, we are at disadvantage because, you know, the model minority myth suggests, like, maybe, you know, Asians don't face gun right. violence, right? Like, this is, right, like, this, again, goes back to, um the The fact that like when we talk about gun violence, a lot of people just say, "Oh, it's it's because it's like gangs, right?" And that's mm-hmm. that's how we experience crime. But um, maybe a part of it is also educating folks and making sure that you know the people giving grants, people with resources, understand like the Hmong community is also affected by by gun violence. And I think um, you know we we saw like there were a lot of support groups that came out for the community in Fresno after um, the mass shooting there, but um, I, I wonder if that's also part of the issue, right? Because I know, so like every town partnered with um, the uh, Black community in Oakland to put out a, a report on like gun violence prevention strategies, right? But, um, you know, I, 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 I don't think we have like infrastructure, and, again, and like resources like that for, um, you know, Asian communities, communities like, you know, like, like ours that um, have experienced gun violence for a long time
1: right like it's not just recently so what, what was useful in, in that um, I guess document that that you think can be applied to the Asian American community or Hmong community so for them like it seems like they
3: have a strong infrastructure right like their faith leaders um, were big or big structures it are um, you know uh, leaders in in saying hey like there's there's a problem in our community and like we want to solve it and i don't i don't know if we have that in our community right there are some community organizers and there's like 18 clan council but i don't know if they've embraced this as an issue that our fam- our, our our community faces right because like when we when we talk about gang violence and like gun violence related to gangs like people are embarrassed right and then um you know when when people get shot by officers like it's it's a tragedy you know it's it's not like
2: i don't know if if our elders see the system well yeah because i mean right. i think said, mm. and like I agree, I agree with Liz, right like it's like it's so new still i mean it's not like new but it's like it hasn't been like it's not a feature issue within our community to where like we're addressing it from all angles and trying to build like a community around it to support it and that's like the difference between us and the black community is like they have that community and they want to work on this this is a real issue to them and then they focus their time and energy on that you know too and, like, with ours, it's sort of like, uh, well, we'll just kind of sweep it under the rug or just kind of ignore it because other people will take care of it or it's, you know, not a big issue, even though it should be.
3: Right. Because, like, you know, when, when when like, a Hmong couple has, like, a domestic violence issue and they go to their relatives, right? Like, the men aren't going to say, oh, maybe we should take his guns from him, right? Like, I feel like that is the kind of accountability that maybe, like, our community yes. needs to show, right? That we're they say, oh, like, or shouldn't they, right? But, like, then there needs also be accountability of the guy to be, like, maybe, you know, like, he shouldn't yeah. have weapons around yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, yeah. that's exactly it. Yeah.
0: I was just going to say that. I mean, I think it's because of the cultural piece. Like, we want to sweep, you know, DV incidents and, you know, abuses under the rug. So if, if that's what we're going to do, then, yeah, we should also, like,
2: take away guns from potential purposes.
0: Yeah. Developing a safety yeah. plan,
1: right?
2: Yeah, I mm, mean yeah. like a red flag plan. That's what that is.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Or yeah, no. Because okay, so a little bit personal, but you know when I was um, going to therapy and having a really hard time, and um, you know like having suicidal thoughts, right? I my therapist actually um, made me. Well, she didn't make me do it, but we developed a safety plan together, and mm-hmm. we talked about everything that I had in my apartment and where they're stored and what I need to do when uh, when I think have these thoughts right so for her like it was making sure that my safety plan involved you know not not having um, easy access to like different weapons like knives or different things in the apartment so Liz you brought up a really good point and like it just kind of clicked to me and that there's no safety plan at all right like taking a gun away mm-hmm. is a part of the safety plan. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, my yeah. Nia Wow, guys, um, it just clicked to me. I don't know well, why. I'm like, why? Like, why has this not been discussed?
2: <laughs> actually, you know what? I mean, um, you know, like, you know, yes, on a personal level and on things like that within our own family, that has happened to where, you know, uh, uncle has taken guns away from mm. another family member and put inside his mm. house and in his safe, mm. and just gonna like you know not go really deep into who they are but that has happened because Mm -hmm. there was a threat but if more people were like that yeah yeah definitely
0: i i and i was just gonna yeah sure thank you katie for mentioning that because i think it does happen and people do try but you know i think from a community perspective it definitely is lacking because i think it's hard to speak up right when when there are like 30 other Hmong men there, and you're the one person thinking, Well, maybe we should take his guns away. Like, I know it's probably really hard to speak up, right? Because it's not easy Mm -hmm. to, you know, say, Oh, maybe we should take, you know, so and so's guns away when everyone else isn't worried about that and they're just worried about making sure that this couple stays together. Like, the priority is not there, Mm -hmm. right? So, but, but I do know and I do, yeah, agree and echo Katie that if, People were, you know, brave enough and, and it, it does it does happen. And people do think about instituting some sort mm. of like a safety awareness or safety plan. Um, but if we did that more, I think more lives could be saved. And, and I don't know if we want to, if that's our segue into like what actionable things that I think we're looking for or that we could do. I don't know if I can speak for everyone on not your average, my, but really it's about, you know, getting our Congress leaders, uh, especially in the Senate to pass HR eight, the bipartisan background check act 2019. Mm-hmm. It was already, you know, introduced and passed mm-hmm. in the house, but it needs to be introduced and passed in the Senate. Um, so again, everything relies on uh leader, Mitch McConnell. Do you
2: want to explain to our listeners what HR eight is?
0: Um, I mean, basically HR eight,
3: um, uh, calls for universal background checks. That's that's the um, main thing that h 8 would do. And it, it's a bipartisan bill that was negotiated um, very hardly to get both uh, Republicans and Democrats on. It's a big win because that's one of like the largest um, issues. It's just we don't have – because of the gun lobby, like from folks um, at the NRA, um, we don't have strict
0: mm-hmm.
3: background checks mm-hmm. or we don't yeah. have good enough background checks. And this would close uh, some of the gun show loophole because basically you can get guns from there and also like um, you can buy guns from the internet. without. Yep.
0: The gun show checks. loophole and um, the act HR 820 has also been introduced and basically it's a bill to require criminal background checks on all firearms mm-hmm. transactions um, that occur at gun shows because tr- right now I believe you are not required to give background checks at gun shows um, and you could just,
2: I also believe you're not required to have background checks if you're buying from a private right. seller too. So if let's say you're selling me a gun, I could just buy mm-hmm. it from you without doing a background right. check too. So you probably strengthen some of our policies exactly. on that
0: too. Um, and then, I mean, also just, you know, re- getting congress to reinstate the federal assault weapons ban like we know when that when president bush took that ban away of course you know sales in these weapons spiked and when this ban was in place like we know our our gun violence um rates dropped so
2: um just really um i don't know you guys know i'm a little against that policy so just because i just feel that like it's like i feel that if we put that ban on people were actually going to run out there more to buy more guns that they didn't even freaking need because there's a ban all of a sudden they're scared and they got to have like 10 more crap that they don't need so that's like my only thing against that and i believe Mm -hmm. that like we just have so many of them in, like, um, circulating already that it's going to be hard to, like, you know, stop that. And then even if we do, like, we have, like, millions of, like, guns already sold that fall into that category that aren't going to, like, disintegrate or fall apart anytime soon. They're, like So it's sort of, like, I want to focus on, like, bigger things to save more lives, but, like, to put that policy out there sort of, like, I kind of feel like it's a waste of time. But, I mean, you know, if people want it, then people want it. That's just my personal feeling on that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I
1: don't think we have all of yeah. the answers, you know, and like, I'm really curious what our audience and, you know, you all as our list- listeners um, like what your thoughts are on what the solutions are to, and like what you think are actionable actionable items to preventing, to prevent gun violence or reduce gun violence within our communities. Like these are just some suggestions that we think will really help, um, you know, for, for me personally, like I think there needs to be more research or more funding dedicated to gun violence research. I know that the Dickey Amendment that was passed in the 90s, like that prohibited um, appropriations, like money towards the CDC on funding anything that would quote unquote advocate or promote mm-hmm. gun control, right? And you know, recently in March 2018, Congress actually passed a spending bill that included language give, allowing the CDC to resume gun-related studies, right? So this is just starting and I feel like like you know we might not he- we might not get the information that we need about what gun control looks like until a few years from now because research takes such a long time and there's actually funding that will allow mm-hmm. this to happen um on gun vi- you know research on gun violence so for me like i i think that that's a solution that will help i think this was a really
3: good conversation and um thank you everyone for you know being vulnerable and sharing your stories i think if 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 you know folks were to take anything away from this conversation, um, you know to me it's clear that you know like every community in America, um, the Hmong community has also been affected by gun violence. Um, you know, in our community, obviously needs to be part of the conversation on gun violence reduction. But um, you know, I, I think, and, and a part of this means we need to build coalitions with other communities. But um, I think. Um, it's also really important for us to mm-hmm. speak up and hold media accountable um, because you know our, our violence is, is also um, unique and should not just be painted as, as um, you know, gang violence and um, you know people need to see beyond uh, this painting of like the model minority. also I need to understand that like, yes, Asian communities are affected by gun violence and we want to also be safe, right? Um, I don't know if folks have other things that they need to add or want to add.
0: Um, so I hope our listeners are, yeah. you know, will, will hear us out and, you know, we know we're probably going to get some pushback, some, <laughs> some, but let us know, right? Like we want to hear from you. Yeah. But, yeah we want to hear from folks on what they think. And honestly, you know, it's like what Katie said um we and what when mania said that we know it's a nuanced issue and it's it's not black and white and there are a lot of different issues that relate to you know gun control gun violence prevention so yeah let us know what what y'all think all right thanks everyone thanks for listening y'all guys